In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Well, the reason we sang the song uh, about the banquet is today we're going to be talking about the banquet. Uh, let me just start first by giving you guys an overview of where we are in Revelation, because some of you haven't been here for a while. It's been... Right. Okay, so let's let's see where we are. Uh, again, unfortunately, every time we start, we, we do that, so, but that's okay. Uh, if we look at the book of Revelation, it's divided into different or major sections. Uh, the first section is the vision that St. John received on the earth, and that's how it starts, declares who he is and, you know, what he received and so on. And then this, you know... Uh, that first one basically covers the seven churches, which, you know, the, the Lord speaks to a particular church, gives advice, you know, or rebuke it for certain behavior in the church, and then uh, gives it advice on how to fix the problems. After that, we take, go and see a second vision in which St. John lifts it up to heaven. And when he goes to heaven, he sees the, the Lord sitting on the throne and next to him is sealed book that nobody knows what that sealed book is except and it, you know it has seven seals on it and only the lamb can open those seals so and the lamb of course is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord starts opening the seals one at a time and when he opened the seals we see different events uh, the horsemen and so on after that we see the 144,000 that were sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is all the believers, and then after that comes the seven trumpets uh, and the warnings and uh, punishment for those people who have uh, sinned or living in sin. After that we hear the seven thunders, and we don't know what the seven thunders are because the Lord told St. John, do not write what these are. So we can't really say what they are since we don't know. Uh, and then we also see St. John eating the little book that it was tasted sweet in his mouth and then was you know, bitter when he ate it because it also included revelations of what's going to happen to the world, fulfilling God's commandment, but at the same time a lot of destruction, a lot of people are going to suffer and die. The famous two witnesses, which we said that most likely are going to be Enoch and Elijah, are going to come again and gonna stand against the, the Antichrist and against the preach of the Antichrist. And when we went through all these events in details, we saw that this it gets it's like certain set of events gets repeated. Like for example, when we talked about the two witnesses, they're gonna last all the way up to like you know, seventeen or eighteen days before the end of the world. And then it's like focus again on a smaller, you know, more detailed portion or describe the same events in different terms because it's very hard to, you know, hard to describe these significant events that are going to happen at the end of the world by just one or two you know, visions. So the Lord deliberately did these different visions you know, to describe maybe the same events or different events that are going to happen around the same time. Uh, an interesting vision, and if, you go, if you're going to follow the book of Revelation, you're going to find the following. You're going to hear about hard events things very hard to listen to you know destruction death and so on and you know get scary a little bit immediately afterwards we see a vision 
a very nice comforting vision what the Lord is, you know, strengthening his people and his power in helping his, you know, his children and so on. So this is, chapter 12 is one of them, where the woman and her son uh, that she gave birth to, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we start seeing in the second half of chapter 11, not actually, uh, chapter 12, I'm sorry, the dragon, which is the devil trying to consume or kill the child that was born from the woman, which is the Lord Jesus. And then the events are going to happen afterwards. The dragon, which is the Antichrist coming out of the sea, and then the, the false prophet that we talked about and described, and their mention is going to be again in chapter 19, where destruction is going to happen. Uh, chapter 14 and 15, we see after seeing the Antichrist and the false prophet and what they're going to do, and they you know, put their stamp on people and the 666 and all these things, again we turn again to another scene where the Lord is among his people and they are all surrounding him right? and he's taking care of them and guarding them after that we get a more catastrophic events the seven you know vials or balls uh, where they pour down on the earth the anger of the Lord with major destructions we see that the trumpets where events are happening at a select group of people in the world. You know, let's say a third of the world died, or a third of the trees were destroyed, a third of the plants happened there to them. But in the, when it comes to the vials, these happen on everybody on the earth, and it's not just the third anymore. The last two chapters, as we covered last week, were the judgment of Babylon. How is, you know, who is Babylon that represents the world? and she is the wife of the devil and those who follow her and that destruction and you're going to see that people are going to see the destruction and going to marvel how come such a, a great and wonderful strong city that destroyed uh, everybody thought that the devil is going to protect his people and he promised them to protect them but of course he cannot do that and he's not going to do that at the end of the days and uh, we discussed that these people are going to be trading in every sort of pleasure items, every you know type of food and even the bodies and the souls of people. That was the main thing. And the warning from the Lord to us, get out of it, do not be partakers of the word, which reminded us was what the Lord said in his, you know, last prayer to the Father, that I pray that you know, do not take them from the word but protect them from the evil one. And we discussed that also last time. This week, hopefully, we'll cover the, the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. That's why we sang the banquet song, because that's basically what it relates to. And uh, then the next chapter is going to be Time to Devil for a Thousand Year, and we'll discuss the Millennium Reign and the whole heresy about the Millennium Reign and why don't we believe in the Millennium Reign and so on. And then the last two chapters talks about the heavenly Jerusalem and enjoying the Lord. So the major events, you can see that as the seven churches cover the whole history of you know, the church or specific churches at the time of uh, St. John or our lives the seven seals also covered the same thing and the seventh seal gets exposed more details with seven trumpets and seven thunders and you know seven vials move on this is a description of the various seals the first and it, let's, let's look quickly at the first seal where uh, in which we see a horseman, the white horseman, coming out 
to conquer, that has conquered and to conquer. Because again today in chapter 19, we're going to see another vision of the white horseman appearing again at this time for the final victory and to be victorious with his church at the end days. So when we talked about the, you know, the four seals, some people said that this is probably a specific period of time where, the, for example, uh, martyrdom peaked at one time. It doesn't mean that this particular horseman, which is, for example, martyrdom, have stopped. When the first horseman, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, came to conquer, you know, conquering and to conquer, that didn't stop in the first, you know, couple of hundred years. The Lord is still conquering through you and through each one of us every day against the devil. So his authority and his presence is still until eternity. When, you know, the persecution of the church peaked at a certain time, it did not end. It's still persecution going on as we hear about it in you know, Egypt, China, Indonesia, you know, you name it. There's a lot of persecution going on to the Christians today. Actually, people say that the 20th century is the bloodiest century of persecution to the church, believe it or not. And we're sitting here comfortable, enjoying our lifestyle, not worrying about it, not even feeling any pressure. And when we're told, you know, uh, to behave in a certain way, in an appropriate way, whatever, we oppose that. And you know, why are you guys being Saida? Uh, <clears throat> Again, the black horseman uh, and the pale horseman, you know, the pale horseman represents the heresies uh, and so on. And the red the persecution. persecution. The black horseman uh, represented basically the famine that was going to come, whether it's you know, physical famine or spiritual famine. For example, if you want to talk about spiritual famine, when people today seek to know about the Lord and about divinity from a book like, you know, Da Vinci Code or you know, Gospel of Judas, that's a spiritual famine. These people don't know where to find food from, where to be fed spiritually from. So they go to any imposter who says, I have the truth, I have the knowledge, and they follow them. And then when they follow this person or that idea or that belief, they end up uh, starving and dying spiritually. The, the pale horseman is about you know the heresies and the fathers said that this is mainly like the Aryan heresies and all those heresies that denied the divinity of Christ and he's not equal to the father you want to believe in Jesus go ahead believe in Jesus but he's just nothing but a great man or a second god he's not the god who saved the whole world right? so these are the, the various horsemen these are the various trumpets where we saw and we saw a lot of rese- you know, resemblance and similarities between the trumpets and the vials in chapter uh, 16. Okay. Okay. All right. And then, you know, somebody was supposed to collect the comforting visions. Somebody else was supposed to be collecting the dogmas that we learned from this uh, book. And another person was supposed okay, to... The heresies. <laughs> the heresies, okay. That's easy. That's easy. Well, we'll see. Okay, so let's read... Chapter 19, and then take that and divide it into its, you know, three sections. Who wants uh, to eat? Yeah, you're, you're our guest today. Yeah. You want to read Revelation 19:1? Yes, please. No, the whole 19. 
And after these things, I heard a great sound of a numerous crowd in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and the power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great harlot who defiled the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged the blood of his servants out of her hand. And secondly, they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, sitting on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones fearing him, the small and great. And I heard as the sound of a great multitude, as, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of strong thunder, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and we will give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has prepared herself. And to her and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who have been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to and he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, See, do not do it. I am I am your fellow servant and of your brothers who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse, and he sitting on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judge he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head many crowns, and he had a name written on that no one knew except him. And he had been clothed in a garment dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, so that with it he should strike the nations. And he will shepherd with him the rod of, with, and he sh- and he will shepherd them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the wine of the anger and of the wrath of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his garment and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw one angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a great voice, saying to all the birds that fly in mid-heaven, Come and gather together to the supper of the great God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of strong ones and the flesh of horses, and those sitting on them, and the flesh of all, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies being gathered to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet doing signs before it, prophet doing signs before it, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. The two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were slain by the sword of him who sat on the horse. It proceeding out of his mouth. All the birds were filled from their flesh. Lord be to God forever. All right. So let's go back and read this, the verse by verse and word by word, and try to understand a little bit about that. And after these things, these things they're talking about again, the destruction of Babylon. I heard a great sound of numerous crowd in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Right? So not only the Protestants say hallelujah, so also the heavenly. And by the way, we say hallelujah a lot in our church. If you notice, 
you know, if you pay it, you know, a little bit of detail, we say that a lot. Just a quick question. Is that the same as Alleluia? Yeah, it is. It is. And the meaning of it is? An exclamatory expression of praise and a or adoration. No, uh, again, some people some people say that the meaning of this Alleluia is basically uh, it's driven out of two words, Hallelu and Yah. Hallelu means praise. Yah is God, so praise God in a way. Right? Uh, in any way. Even if we don't understand the meaning, we know it is addressed to praise God. I'm saying we're calling people to praise God, right? and that's why we repeat the word Alleluia a lot. Especially, for example, uh, the response of the gospel, uh, or I'm sorry, the response of the Psalms, in the, you know, in the liturgy. It's always Alleluia, Alleluia. You know, a lot of times. Actually. actually Sometimes we repeat it four times as it is in this particular chapter in Revelation. We're going to find that Alleluia is repeated four times by the different uh, you know, portions of different groups of the heavenly. So, in our church, there's a lot of very tiny details that only those who understand the Bible well understand why we're doing it. Let us just do it until we really understand why we're doing it. And not just say, we're not going to do it until we understand, because if we follow that approach, we will never do anything, and we'll never get to understand anything. So we need to, you know, practice what the church is doing, because the fathers of the church, when they put a lot of these traditions, or a lot of these things, you know, dogma, that we, you know, and things we practice in the church, a lot of the things we practice in the church include dogma as well. The way Abuna, you know, raises the incense, you know, we saw that a lot here in the Revelation. A lot of things that happen in the church, what the priests wear, as we're going to see again today, all these things have in it dogma and have in it a lot of scripture knowledge as well. (coughs) Salvation and glory and honor and the power to the Lord our God. So again, the heavenly are praising God and they're praising Him for the salvation. Because when they saw the destruction of the Babylon, Again, they rejoiced, and as we're going to see here when they, you know, in verse 2, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great harlot who defiled the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged the blood of his servants out of her hand. So what's going on? Are the heavenly or the righteous people gloating that God destroyed uh, the evil one? They are gloating? Because that's not that's not their nature. They're not gloating because he destroyed, you know, their enemy, in particular, you know, those people who are nagging them or whatever. No, they are happy because God put an end to sin. If the righteous people, you know, that the righteous people cannot tolerate sin, God Himself cannot tolerate sin. So, really, when you start examining your heart, how tolerant are you to sin? doesn't mean that you become intolerant to sinful people, but, you know, you're intolerant to sin in your life. In the Old Testament, uh, in the, around the Passover, there was a week of, you know, unleavened bread. And the idea of that was to go inside the house with a light and search for every piece of bread that has yeast in even the crumbs. You're not allowed to have any of this in your house, which is to be 
very, very precise about your life, not to have, not to allow sin in your life. Maybe you, at the beginning we practice it because we're told to. We're told, don't do this, don't do that, don't steal, don't, you know, curse, don't behave this way, don't dress this way, don't do all these things. But after we grow spiritually, we'll find that we hate sin from within. So when we see sin ended, it's not because these people were punished. No, they feel sorry for the people who are punished, but because sin itself has ended and the devil was conquered. So it's not a matter of gloating in those who are punished. Leaven bread is not without sin. bread. bread. Yeast represented sin. And that's... Makes it puff up. You know, but it doesn't have substance in it. It just, you know, puff up. So, and that's what the Lord told the disciples. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. So they were asking themselves, you know, what you know, what we have and so on. And he started them to do that. And that's why in, in our, you know, liturgy, the the offering of lamb, the urbana, must have yeast in it because the Lord Jesus Christ carried our sin on, on our behalf. So that's why it has to have you know yeast, which represents you know our sin. So He carried the sin. The Catholics they say that you know no, the whatever bread is offered for uh, consecration should not have yeast because the Lord is without sin. Say so yes, but He carried our sin, and that's why He was hung on the cross. And that's what we're going to see again in you know, one of the verses coming down. Okay. okay, so as we said, the heavenly are joyful because of the salvation that came to us. They get nothing nothing out of it. They already are in heaven. They get nothing out of it. We're the one who's benefit from it. But at the same time, they jo- you know join us in praise. As we're going to see, they join us in our fight against the, you know the evil ones. For true and righteous are his judgments. If we go back to chapters, you know, 16 and 17, oh, I'm sorry, 17, uh, and we see the the vials and when they poured on the earth, after most of these punishments, people looked at the God of heaven, not that God, to the God of heaven, and they complained, and they said that he's not righteous. And we see that today. People around us, when they see a disaster happen, when they see an earthquake, when they see somebody sick, if God is just, if there's a God, why would He do that? Big difference between the uh, heavenly, they see every God, whatever God does is right and it's righteous, and us, you know, unfortunately, it's sad to say that we can give God a lot of lessons on how to run the world, on how to run the world affair, right? We should, we should have done this, He should have done this to my life, you know, I should have been better off, you know, if he was, you know, put me in this particular place and put me into that school and, you know, give me that ability and, and all this so I can teach God a lot of lessons about at least how to run my life. I'm very good in that. So let's learn from the heavenly that, he, you know, we attribute righteousness to God in everything he does, whether I understand or not. Okay. And he has avenged the blood of his servants out of her hand. Again, out of the hand of Babylon, which is the the wife of the devil, which is the... Uh, represents basically the word and those people who follow the devil. And as you said, during the end times, this may represent the throne of the Antichrist, where he's going to be residing, where his government is going to be, where he's going to be leading the people from. And secondly, they said, Hallelujah. So again, the praising God is continuous in heaven. 
and her smoke rose up forever and ever, which means that judgment is, is forever. Those people who tell you there's not going to be a judgment, right? as you know, the Bible tells us, you know, people have been saying from the time of the apostles. You guys have been telling us the end of the world is going to come from you know a few thousands of years and nothing happens. So let us eat and live and you know enjoy ourselves. Um, you said uh, her refers to the wife of Babylon. Babylon, yes. Wife. In the Bible, wife or, of Babylon. You know, Babylon is considered to be the spouse of the devil. That's why it's called the harlot. Mm-hmm. In the in the Bible, there are two husbands and two wives, two you know two bridegrooms and two brides. The Lord and His Church, and the Devil and Babylon. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God sitting on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. So this is the third Alleluia. Again, the heavenly, even those people who are very close to the throne, worshipping God and saying, Alleluia. So when we worship God, kneel down and bow down, it's not an you know, invention or something uh, we inherited from the pharaohs. This is a biblical command to do. Um, you probably already went through this, but why the 20, what, what are the 24 yeah. elders? The 24 pre- elders are 24 priests. Mm-hmm. It's a rank, have any rank. They are surrounding the thron- thrones. And these are the only people or only rank that we heard they have a throne in heaven next to the Lord. And it represents the priesthood of the Old Testament and the priesthood of the New Testament. Why 24? 12 and 12. 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, and 12 represents the 12 disciples of the New Testament. That's why 24. Okay. We have some of these sermons on the web, and you know, we're probably going to put the rest of them. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God and all his servants, all and the ones fearing him, the small and the great. A voice came from the you know from the throne, which is God, basically giving the order, telling us to praise. Because when we praise God, we know who he is, we know how wonderful he is. And we get to learn how to enjoy God uh, all the time. And when the church holds the praises at night and every day invites us to praises, it's for our benefit. Not because, you know, they just want to have uh, some deacons going there and chanting and, you know, giving everybody a headache. Uh, yes, ma'am. So, what's the hour? Like, praise our God? It says that the voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God. So, the angel, the angel saying our God. Like, the, the, the angel saying our God. Uh, that's, that's a very good question. But at the same time, we can look at, you know, the Lord Jesus as the head of the church and when he you know basically lets us all uh, as St. Paul said in the letter of the Hebrews that at the end he's going to bring all to uh, you know basically to God when everything fulfills so again is it the Lord you know himself or the Holy Spirit telling us praise our Lord, our Lord? maybe is it you know one of the angels or maybe one of the four heavenly creatures who are carrying the throne is telling us, praise the Lord? Maybe. We don't know. But if it is, you know, uh, the Lord himself telling us that, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Who is saying that? It's not clear, so we cannot really 
Again, fearing Him and the ones fearing Him. Even in heaven, even at, you know, after the second coming, fearing Him. Isn't that the Old Testament stuff and the New Testament is only love and, and all this kind of stuff? Guess what? You had a little child meet somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Hulk Hogan or whatever. Right? And they're going to be scared of that, you know, big, you know, strong guy, but they're not going to be scared. Even who's trying to play with them. They better be scared. Right? Imagine us in front of the Lord. We better be scared. If we know who God is, we better be scared. But again, because of His love, He is, you know, approaching us. He appeared, you know, came, incarnated as a man and so on to deal with us. But if we try to understand who is this God who is unlimitless, who controls the whole world, and if you study biology, you study, you know, uh, astronomy, you study anything, the amount of, you know, knowledge and amount of control that God, you know, puts on all these things in the world is enormous. So, you, you know, to give Him His rightful place, we need to be fearful of Him. And that fear and the love of God do not disagree together. And the Bible tells us in multiple places, the fear of the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And David said that, and he loved God so much. Uh, Solomon the Great said that in, in the Proverbs, and he's the one who wrote uh, the Song of Songs that talked a lot about God's love and how you know wonderful is the relationship between the human spirit and the Lord. But he still wrote that the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If we don't fear God, we're not going to respect Him. Like you're scared of him, like, oh my god, don't hurt me, right? It's not, it's a fear with, like you said, the knowledge that he's, you know, you know like all encompassing, you know, all. He's, yeah, he's omnipotent, you know, yeah. uh, and he is great, he's powerful, and as we can see, his, his wrath and anger will destroy the whole world, but at the same time, his love let him, you know, die on the cross for, our, you know, for our sake. So it depends. How do you want to see him? You following, you love him. You following him. Yes, that's great. And you know, you're gonna see that definitely the love. But at the same time, you should never forget that God is powerful, mighty, and and you know, and great. Because right now, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, the New Testament God is a God of love. The Old Testament God is a God of you know, a fear for God, and so on." That that's that's the Old Testament, and we should be in the New Testament, the God of love, and so on, and forget about the fear. And here, even the heavenly at the end of the word saying those who are fearing God okay and sometimes I stress on these things because I know there's a lot of sometimes there's controversies going on about these things so I have to give you the conclusion without going through the problems and I heard as the sound of the great multitude and as the sound of the many waters and as the sound of strong thunders saying hallelujah so that's you know great multitude and the sound of many waters, again, many waters had, you know, in other places, it described many nations. So that tells us in heaven, there are going to be a large number of people. I mean, if it's only 144,000, right? As I've said, I heard the sound of 144,000 people saying, Alleluia, right? But this is great multitudes, right? as many as the waters. Can you count the, how many drops are in the ocean? You can't. Right? I'm sorry? 
How big is the drop? Very good question. Why does it say the small and the great, not the small and the large? Different no, small in rank and great in you know in rank as well. So don't think because you're a king or you're a patriarch or you know you're somebody who's knowledgeable or whatever you don't need to fear God anymore. What's the opposite of the great? Well, I was thinking about that, but I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't find the opposite. Tiny, but only small. I don't know. I thought small. Not really. Small. I guess omnipotent. We call that in our language Pontocrator, Pontocrator in Greek, right? I don't know, I haven't checked the original word for that. No, it's omnipotent, Pontocrator. Right? So when we say, when we use the word, the, the word Pontocrator, again, it's biblical. Right? We're not inventing anything. Is it It's Greek. Greek. No. Uh, Pantocrator. I mean, when we looked at the origin of this word, 196, omnipotent, the original Greek you know, word for it is uh, Pantocrator. That's almighty, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Omnipotent. Controller of all things. I'm sorry? When was the word created? I don't know. Omnipotent is an old word. Rule, all ruling, absolute and universal sovereign. <coughs> Almighty, omnipotent. Okay. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful tool. Let us be glad and rejoice, and we will. Okay. So the heavenlies are saying, and all the multitudes and all those people have are saying, "Let us be glad and rejoice, and we we will give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has prepared herself." All right. So now it's a marriage. Before that, Saint Paul tells us in Second Corinthians what. But, yeah. What? No, I didn't post this for a while now. I need to clean it up a little bit. Alright, so there's three stages of our relationship with the Lord. There's the engagement, and that's what St. Paul is talking about, Second Corinthians eleven two. For I am jealous over you is godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one man to present you as pure version to Christ. So that's an engagement. Now, after we accept the Lord, and as a church, we are all His bride. For example, the famous song that's in all the weddings, Listen, O daughter, and look, and bow down your ear, and forget your own people and your father's house, and cause the king greatly to desire your beauty, and he is your Lord, and you shall worship him. And... Also in Isaiah, for your maker is your husband, Jehovah of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall be shall he be called. In uh, Hosea, Hosea thank you. 
And it shall be at that day, says Jehovah, you shall call me my husband and shall no more call me my Baal. Baal is the... Uh, is an false god. A false god that they used to worship. Actually, the story of Hosea is you know, very interesting and I think we touched on that last week. Basically, he is the, the guy... The prophet, whom the Lord asked him to go and marry uh, a person that's not a harlot, basically, yes, to remind him or to tell him, let him feel how the Lord Himself feels when when people Israel go and worship idols. And we said that worshiping idols, basically, the idea is that if a woman goes and seeks help from somebody else, the man will feel very jealous of that, and you know if. the man is sitting down and then the wife leaves him and you know turns around and asks you know the neighbor for help the guy is going to get you know upset for that why because as her husband she's supposed to run him and ask him for whatever she needs and if he can't provide it there's a problem there but our husband can provide anything we ask for so why do we leave him and go ask the devil for pleasure you know of the word that's why the Lord considers sin as adultery you said uh, church is his wife so if they worship an idol that could be considered their church and that's different from what in general in general sin as a whole is considered adultery spiritual adultery worshipping idols seeking you know power from somebody else or seeking worldly pleasures anything that we do outside God without seeking God is considered to be spiritual adultery at least in the Old Testament you read that in the Old Testament it's very clear the Lord takes that in a very clear way and he you know discussed that uh, a lot and again Hosea is one of the best examples that describes that you know that relationship so it's all again we know that in the Jewish way there was engagement betrothed and then finally the wedding when the actual the union happens and the Bible talks a lot about the wife and so and you know the bride, but the first time he talks about the woman of the lamb, the you know true wife where the union happened is in the book of Revelation when actually the second coming happens and we're all taken up to heaven and united with the Lord. This is where the union happens. This is where the actual wedding takes place. Yeah. And his wife prepared herself. So how did she prepare herself? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the linen is the righteousness of the saint. So she prepared herself. The Lord paid the price. The Lord died on the cross to reconcile us with the Father again and make us worthy to go to heaven. Uh, As we see here, we were, were given fine linen which is righteousness of the saints to wear but at the same time we have a duty to be prepared and to get ready and this is whole things goes about the works versus the, the faith is you know are we saved by faith alone or are we saved by work or are we saved by faith and work 
this whole discussion, as we can see here, his wife has prepared herself, so she has done something. It's not that she's sitting down, he paid the price, he gave her the clothes, she wore it, and that's it, she did nothing. No. She did something and prepared herself, even if it's through the righteousness of the saints. And look at the beauty here. The Lord is the one who gives us righteousness, right? There's no one without a sin, you know, not even if the life is one day on earth, right? So, the Lord is the one who gives us righteousness. And then He attributes it to the saints. This is how the relationship with the Lord. We, we work, you know, we work, our, by ourselves we work nothing. But what do you mean by that? For example, this is St. Mary's Church, right? The, the righteousness that's attributed to St. Mary. But also a gift from God, and she worked on it and kept that you know gift from God and deserved that gift. And that's why now it's the righteousness attributed to St. Mary. The miracles that St. George, for example, does, or St. You know, uh, Abu Sufyan, or any of the saints do. Who is the source of the power? Who is the source of that gift to us? It's the Lord. He allowed it to be through His saints, through His children, for us. He's the source. He gave it to His children, and now He is attributing it to His children. The, the nice thing, if you go to the book of uh, Exodus, which hopefully we'll be covering soon. A big confusion. Is it Moses' staff or God's staff? God is the one who does everything with the staff, but Moses is the one who holds it and sometimes says, you know, uh, God's staff, the Lord's staff, and Moses' staff. All the power is given to Moses, but God is the one who does the miracles. It's not that that stick that's going to open the sea. Right? It's not the stick that's going to, for example, hold the sun from setting and all these things. No. It's God who does that, but through His children. And He gives them the reward later on. Mm -hmm. And He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who have been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So what is the supper actually? We talked about the, you know, what, you know, the supper. What is supper? What is, you know, why do you call it supper? Why it's not lunch? Why it's not dinner? Why it's not breakfast? Supper is the last meal. Very good. What else? All right. When is the seventh day going to end? Seventh day of creation. When is going to end? At the end of the world. So the beginning of the eighth day is this day, right? Um, no, this is just, you know, an invention, you know. Okay, don't, don't take that. No, but you know that in the Jewish tradition, and we inherited that as a Coptic church, the day starts from night, from 6 sunset, 6, 6 p.m., to 6 p.m. the next day. So the day actually starts from the night before. Now it's Monday night. Yeah, this is Monday night. Tomorrow's Monday morning. Okay. So the sixth, seventh day, when is the seventh day? You know, and then they say also the reason for that, the main reason for that is that, you know, when the sixth day happened, I'm sorry, the seventh day, you know, and God rested in the seventh day. But in reality, the Lord Jesus appeared to the world in the middle of the day, or, you know, appeared later on. And He is the Son of the world, Son S U M. So before that there was darkness, and then the sun came, and now there's light. 
So that's the seventh day. Light and then sun. I'm sorry, darkness, sun, and then light. That's why the day starts from night and goes into... Okay. The day for the Jew, you know, in the Jewish tradition, in the Coptic Church, starts from the night, 6 p.m., and then goes into the morning. And why is that? If you go back to read, you know, Genesis quite well, Lord created the world on the sixth day, and the seventh day started but never ended, right? So we're living in the seventh day. The Lord did not appear, the Lord Jesus did not come in the beginning of the seventh day. Became, he came sometime you know, in the middle. I'm not going to say in the middle, so nobody you know, can tell me it's 6,000 years, so another 6,000 years, and I'm not going to go through that. So he appeared somewhere... After the beginning. After the beginning of the day. Right? Thank you, Mark. So in the beginning there was darkness. Beginning of the day there was darkness. And then the sun came. Now there's light. But if you don't get it, that's fine. Pass it on. All right. All right. If it's too mekalka, that's okay. Okay. Now there's an important thing that the Lord said during the Last Supper. And He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of this wine from now or on, on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And this is, the, you know, what the Lord means, which is this last, you know, which is the supper of the Lamb, which is the banquet that talked about. And also, if we remember the banquet, in Matthew 22, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who made a marriage for his son. They went outside and invited all, which means we are all invited. We all got the invitation when we were baptized, whether we keep it and go in or not. Whether we go in and we find with the wedding clothes or not, that's our Because some people will go in, but then what's going to happen? they'll be kicked out. Why? Because they're not wearing the wedding clothes. Now, do we know what the wedding clothes is? The linen, which is... Okay. Yes, sir. You said, uh, believe and baptized. But how, how can I believe when I'm like one year old? You were baptized in the faith of your parents. When you're 40 days old, you are baptized in the faith of your parents. So like, uh, That's why you... Well... Yeah, baptism is in the confirmation when they're 8th grade. Confirmation when they confirm their parents. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, but let, let's, let's be honest. 6th grader or 7th or 8th grader, would they really understand, you know, the true dogma and the faith and, you know, the creation and one God and the Trinity and all that so they can believe and confirm their faith? Do we understand that when we're adults? Not yet. Okay. It's the faith of the parents, and that's why the parents have a tremendous responsibility to raise you on the faith. And if you know, as parents, we don't do that, we have failed in our obligation toward the Lord. 
but it's all about the zaffa and you know the candy and you know the white dress and all this kind of stuff and he said to me okay we said that right blessed are those who have been called to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are the true sayings of God so why are these why is that why is these are the true sayings of God because when God says something when he promised something he delivered when he promised Adam and Eve and you know particular he promised Eve your descendants shall crush the skull of the serpents he did that when he promised Abraham that out of his you know descendants the whole world will be blessed he did that and when he promised us that he's coming again and he prepared houses for us in heaven he is going to do that God's promises are true and are going to happen huh? just because we don't see them happening in front of our eyes right now does not mean they're not going to happen and does not mean they're not true and this is the faith if we don't see it we still believe in it that should be our faith we should always know that God is righteous and his promises are always true and I fell at his feet to worship him and he said to me see do not do it I am your fellow servant and of your brothers who have the testimony of Jesus worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy fellow servant even the angel is calling himself a fellow servant most of you guys are servants so guess who's your fellow servant is guess who goes, goes to serve with you the angels Okay, you're not by yourself there um, I'm your fellow servant uh, the testimony of Jesus uh, again this is the Bible that we have and the question the famous question when we go to heaven is the Lord going to tell us I don't know you because you do not know me in front of people you do not testify you know, in my name or he's going to know us because we have testified in his name And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he sitting on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course he makes, he judges in righteousness, and he makes war against the devil and against the followers of the devil. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head many crowns. Again, we saw a similar description in chapter 1. If you go back to Revelation chapter 1, you're going to see a similar description. Eyes like a film fire, you know, uh, his tongue like a two-edged sword, all these things. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, which is, again, the same visions, not the same visions, you know, different visions that tie things together to, for us to know and be sure that whoever St. John saw, saw at the beginning the Alpha and the Omega, He is the Lord Jesus Christ, He is God, and one with the Father. Again, flame of fire, as we've said that before, it can, it means two things, enlightens the way for the believers, or destroys sin. And on His head, many crowns, again, the crown is the victorious crown, because again, the picture here is different than the first picture. The first picture we saw in chapter 1, was he standing 
ready for action. Now he's coming in with his horse. This is like, you know, the victory round in the stadium. Right? He's coming in and his army behind him. This is it. The battle is won. They won, you know, the war and they're coming back in the victorious uh, parade. Many crowns, a sign of, you know, many victories, many battles that he have fought through the church, through each one of us. And he won these battles on our behalf. And he had a name written, one that no one knew except himself. What does that mean? You can tell us his name is Jehovah. He didn't know him through the name, you know, Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that he had name no one knew except himself? Go back to the name, the meaning of the word, you know, the name, and why people were given name in the Old Testament, and you're going to find that the name described the person. And in reality, no one can describe God, not even the heavenly. As we said in the beginning of you know the discussion today, who can understand the limit of God? Who can understand the power of God who put all these stars together? Who can understand God who put all these atoms, the tiny thing, from the mighty, huge, humongous, you know, stars and superstars and, and all these things into the tiny atoms and you know, quartz and these things that nobody can see, not even you know, measure, only hypothesize and theorize about. Even the heavenly don't, did not understand what God's love is until they saw Him on the cross. No one understands and knows exactly who God is except the Spirit of God Himself. Yeah, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11 For whom among men knows things of man except the spirit of man within him. So also no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So when no one really knows God except God. So if somebody tells you, comes and, you know, and tells you I'll know everything about God, I'll teach you who God is. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <coughs> And he had been clothed in a garment dipped in blood. That's a garment here represents the incarnation. Dipped in blood represents the cross, or it is the cross. And his name is called the Word of God. And again, this is the same name given to him by Saint John in Gospel Saint John one one, right? And this is, so this, we know where St. John got the name from. Okay, because he saw that in heaven. And at the same time, this is to strengthen the faith of the believers that this is the, the same victorious God they're worshipping and they're following in the Gospels. He's the same victorious God who's in heaven. St. John, I'm sorry. Was this uh, book uh, written after? Before, uh, before the Gospel. Yes. Uh, is that what you're asking? Revelation before the gospel. And the armies in heaven followed him on white horses 
clothed in linen, white and clean. Armies in heaven. Are there armies in heaven? Yeah, there's unlimited number of angels. And they're all, again, they're all on horses. Of course, they're not real horses, but it's a sign of two things. A sign, they are, this is an army, a strong and mighty army, because in the old, you know, in the old times, there were people who were walking on their feet, and there were those who, you know, who are on the tanks, which are the horses. And if you're in a horse, you're a lot better shape than you're walking on your feet. If you're in a tank, you know, fighting in a tank, you're a lot better off than you're fighting on your feet. So, these, all the angels have horses, which means all the angels are mighty and are powerful. And they are your fellow servants. Yes? So don't belittle yourself in the service, especially as the eighth graders. It's a tough class. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, so that with it he should strike the nations and Again, that uh, we said, what's the word? You know, what goes out of the mouth? Like sharp sword. We said that's uh, the word of God, the Bible. One side he preaches and heals, and the other sides, if you don't follow it, is a condemnation for us. Like for example, do not commit adultery. Everybody knows the verse. You adhere by it. You know, great. You don't adhere by it. That's a condemnation for you know for us if we commit that sin. And he will shepherd them uh, with a rod of iron. That's again Psalm 2. Go back to Psalm 2. And he treads the winepress of the wine of the anger of the wrath of Almighty God. And this is when he... When did he treads through the winepress? When did he do that? At the cross. Right? When he carried... I'm sorry? Winepress? Okay, the wine press is when they put all the wine in the old days. Oh. They didn't have something to press by hands. No, they used to walk into it and press it with their feet. Yeah. So they come out all red. Right? And in Isaiah, he says what? I went through the wine press by myself and no one was with me. And they, they say he wine press because, again, for the last two chapters, we'll be talking about the cup of the anger of the Lord. And that the harlot was drunk with, you know, her wine, and, you know, what she made people who follow her drink her wine and so on. So there are two types of wine. Okay? The, what the word offers, and there is the, also one that presents the wrath of God and him treading on that. And again, we said there's two types of also grapes. The spiritual that's in the, in the Lord, you know, I am divine. And you know, and I come from Abu Karam, the Gospel of the Third Hour. No, the the vineyard and uh, the wine dress. Right? The Gospel of the Third Hour, Saint John, right? So the Lord is the true vineyard, and we're the you know the vines, and then the word offers, you know, its own kind of, you know, of wine, people who are enjoying the word and you know, living up and becoming kings of the word and drinking of the wine of the word. And that's, these are the ones who are going to be trampled on and uh, pressed. 
But this is again the anger and wrath of Almighty God. That's uh, a lot of people say that this particular part represents, you know, the cross. And he has on his garment and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here the garment, uh, the fathers say that this represents the church. And the thigh represents the, the you know, humanity part. And he, on him written the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we, the church, when we are called the same, you know, by the name of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, we are also attributed to him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you know in um, the resurrection reenactment, they say like he's the king of glory and then the deacon responds to king. Is that where they get that from? Or? No, there's a psalm actually that states oh, that. Okay. This is the deacon actually verbatim from the psalm. And the psalm is a prophecy about the end of the world and about, you know, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I saw one angel standing in the sun and he cried with a great voice saying, to all the birds that fly in mid-heaven, come and gather together in the supper of the great God. So there's two types of food. There's two types of suppers. There's one supper for those who are elect, and those who are invited, and those who accepted the invitation and got inside to sit down and you know enjoy the presence of the Lord and the union of the you know the bride and the groom, and those who are left outside on the earth for the birds of the you know of the world to eat them destroy them and you know uh, eat their flesh which is also might be an indication of the great battle that's going to happen at the end of the world which is Armageddon or Armageddon you know the major battle of Armageddon which we're going to address next week uh, and the destruction of these people and again another you know thing they said. Let's, let's go back and, and read this. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of strong ones and the flesh of horses and those sitting on them and the flesh of all, both free and slave, both small and great. So this is again the, the destruction and the end of the sinners, whether they were kings. And kings not necessarily the rulers of countries. Not every ruler of a country is an evil person. But now it looks like it, but you know, that's not usually, you know, what it means here. Again, as we addressed last couple of times, you know, those, there are two types of kings. The Lord has called us kings and priests. And those who are, enjoy the word and enjoy the sin of the word and think of themselves as kings. Now I can do this sin by myself. Hey, I'm a king. Now I can, you know, steal this while I can, you know, take these bribes. I'm in this position. I can take these bribes. I'm a king. Right? So this is the kind of kings they're talking about here. Is those who are enjoying the word as being kings of this world. And commanders and strong ones. And somebody tells me a verse about those people who are strong ones who are destroyed. Sin has casted away a lot of strong ones. Sin has uh, cast away a lot of uh, people and all that she murdered are strong ones. Where is it? Reference. 
I have to find that for you. I'm sorry. Uh, and the flesh of the horses and those sitting on them, and the flesh of all, both free and slave, both small and great. So, those who think of themselves free and from sin, somebody smoking cigarettes or taking drugs or whatever, they think, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. I can stop whenever I want. But in reality, they're slaves. And those who know they're slaves and they're in the habit and cannot kick the habit, both are the same. They're going to also be destroyed. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies being gathered to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So the beast, which he represents, you know, can represent the devil or can represent the Antichrist. Again, the, I'm sorry, the, here most likely this is the Antichrist because the, the one in chapter 12, the <coughs> devil is a dragon. This is the beast. So this is the Antichrist and the kings of the earth. Last time when we said Babylon is sitting on a, you know, on the beast with the ten, with the seven heads and ten horns, we said that these are ten kings who are going to give the power to uh, the Antichrist to war against the believers and against the church. So most likely this is, an, uh, again, trying to <coughs> describe the battle that's going to take place at the end of the world, uh, being gathered to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The dragon and the Antichrist are not... No, in chapter 12, it talks about have a sign in the heavens, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his head. This is the devil himself. In chapter 13, and and I stood on this, uh, the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horns were ten crowns, and on its head was the name of blasphemy. Right? And this beast is the Antichrist. So the first one in chapter 12, the dragon, is the devil himself. The one in chapter 13, there are two beasts in chapter 13. There's one of the sea, that's the Antichrist, and then uh, one of the on the earth. You see that one? Eleven. Okay. Uh, I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and that's the false prophet, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. That the beast, the basically the beast and the false prophet are going to be thrown together alive into the bottomless pit. So there's three monsters: the evil trinity, the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. They are separate. They are separate beings. I mean, you know, like for example, the Antichrist, maybe he is going to be a, a, a true human being. What's the difference between the Antichrist and the false prophet? Should have been here two weeks ago, Mark. No, no, that's okay. I'm just teasing you. Uh, the the Antichrist is going to be the one who sort of declares himself to be a god and sits in the temple of the Lord declaring himself to be a god. Right? The false prophet is going to be somebody who is maybe of a religious authority. He's an advertiser. Advertiser. 
Okay, he's going to be the you know basically the religious leader who advocates that this is the true Messiah and this is the true God that came in to save the world and rule over the world. Right? And then they're going to have three frogs coming up their mouth to go in and preach to everyone and uh, gather them to declare war at the end of the world. So where were we? We were at the end, right? Okay. So this is, again, this is, and the beauty of the book of Revelation, one time it addresses an event by one verse, and another time it addresses the same event by multiple chapters. Uh, and actually, for people who are interested, we can do a couple of research on the book of Revelation, how to tie the various events together, like, you know, the seven churches, the seven trumpets, the seven vials, and so on, how to tie them together, is there a relationship between them or not, are these the same events or different events, uh, and also to look at the various mentions of the final battles, Armageddon, and collect information about it, not to, to decide that this is going to be United States against China, against Europe, and, you know, put the, the chess, you know, pieces up and see how it's going to happen, that's not the case, but again, that's a lot of it is from spiritual benefit, and so trying to concentrate on. Here's the end of the word, basically, and the other, uh, the Antichrist, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, and that's why we're attributing the second beast, seeing the second beast is the false prophet, <coughs> and his job was the false prophet doing signs before it. It means the beast by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast. So the false prophet was doing miracles and was doing things to deceive people so they can believe in the Antichrist and get the mark of the beast. And those who had worshipped his image, the two were thrown alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So the, you know, the lake of fire with brimstone is reality, is not fiction, by the way. That's the devil that we're going to see that next chapter. Oh, okay. To be continued. Okay. <laughs> and the rest were slain by the sword of him who sat on the horse, it proceeding out of his mouth, and all the birds were filled from their flesh. So, the number of people are going to be, you know, killed and thrown in the open are going to be numerous. And the birds are all around watching this this whole time. And again, the birds... Here, the, the you know, this is something that also uh, an interesting meditation. Those who eat the birds that eat the flesh and eat corpses are unclean birds, and uh, they, they are the representation of the demons. So here, the demons are going to be given these people basically to enjoy and you know, mizmizu bihum keda. I'm sorry. Gonna, then the going to be destroyed too? All are going to be destroyed. Are they I mean, destroyed like annihilated or just living forever? No, no. They're not going to be annihilated. Yeah, they can be living in the they're going to be living forever in the pit. And then so we can go and talk, look at, go back and look at Ezekiel uh, 14. 14 or 20 is one of them. Uh, when it talks about the, the devil and his fall and actually... Uh, his end and say you know when he descends into Hades people are going to be surprised how can he come 
down to hate and so on. We'll, we'll try to address some of these things uh, next time. Okay. Uh, any questions? Uh, what is brimstone? Brimstone. It's a kind of you know material. It's sulfur. basically sulfur. Yeah, cabrit. Yeah. And what's the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. It's you know again we don't know what's going to be. But the mark but that they get on their head is not necessarily six six six. That's no. the of the beast. Right. The mark of the beast. It's not an. It's not a chip. It's not your credit card number. It's not you know whatever. It's basically I'm saying the mark of the beast on the the foreheads and on the their hands. Again, there's. This might be literally there is a mark on people's forehead and you know we don't know what it is and the mark on their hand we don't know or spiritually is the mark of the beast on their foreheads you know the foreheads represents our th- their thinking so the mark of the beast on their thinking means they're thinking the same way that the, you know the beast does so if the beast says for example that you know certain things are okay sure who cares you know everybody's following the same concepts whatever they are in the same mind and the hands also has the mark of the beast they are doing the you know the deeds of the beast and they're following the beast in, in, with their actions so this is a, a lot more reasonable interpretation than we say that's going to be a chip that's going to be you know implemented like we're doing now with the dogs putting chips in them so they identify where they are all these things you know when Saint John wrote that, he didn't know anything about chips or, or whatever uh, 2,000 years ago. Even if they wrote that 100 years ago, nobody would knew anything about chips. Right? So, uh, let's not focus on the literal, these things, how it's going to happen. Because again, you look at this, one verse covers hundreds of years, and one verse covers an hour. Or one chapter covers... A particular event. Book of Revelation is written in a in a particular way that's mysterious, and our job is to memorize it and not to understand it. So I'm wasting your time. Yeah, here. Show, him, show him verse uh, two or whatever. Yeah. Says he who keeps, reads, and uh, say understand. Reads, hears. Blessed is the one who reads, hears the words of this prophecy, and the ones keeping the things written in it for the time is near. Nothing there about understanding. We're just doing that to get spiritual benefit and to grow spiritually. Well, well, one keep it in your heart so when, you, when it happens, yeah, comes through, you see it. Look. Yeah. Again, I go back and say there's an, a very, very good example that happened. Go back to Matthew 24. When the Lord was talking about the end of Jerusalem, the end of the world and the end of Jerusalem. When the Lord Jesus, what he did is he merged together the end of the world and the end of Jerusalem in one you know story but he said when you see the the sign that Daniel the prophet said run away from the city and those who are in the city should not you know should not turn or those who are in the field should not turn back those who are on the roofs should not go down to take anything run and literally that happened in the year 70 AD when the Romans were surrounding Jerusalem and then they left Jerusalem but before they leaving Jerusalem they managed to put their insignia on the temple and when the people saw that <coughs> excuse me when, when the Christians saw that they knew that this is the prophecy that the Lord Jesus said only at that time they knew it is and then they ran away and 
immediately afterwards the Romans came and destroyed the whole city did not leave uh, stones standing on top of each other so do we understand who is the beast do we understand who is the antichrist do we understand how things are going to happen no we don't do, can, do we, can we have some ideas about what's going to happen yes is it accurate we don't know so, for example, some people are telling you, you know, the, the beast of chapters, you know, 17, I'm sorry, 17 or 18. The Antichrist is going to be a human. It has to be a human. Right? Okay. Okay. Uh, because he is going to declare himself to be a god and he's going to be a human comes in and lives and he's going to be given all the power of the devil so the devil is going to choose him? that's a very good question is the devil going to choose him or is he going to choose the devil? exactly I have the choice of choosing the lord or choosing the devil it's my choice and if I approach the devil, of course he's going to welcome me. And if I approach the Lord, of course he's going to welcome me. It's my choice. Right? So, he's going to be a person who's going to give himself up to the devil. And reward the devil is going to give him all his power, all his might. Okay, so so what what do you think? What's going to happen? What what is your uh, opinion? I'm sorry. It's not going to be human. It's going to be just an image. I, I can't tell you yes. I can tell you no. Okay. Well, first of all, if he's going to prepare himself to be God, it's going to be some ugly, nasty-looking beast. It's not going to make much sense. So a beast no. is usually... No, don't forget, the, the devil can come in a you know, yeah, shape of an angel of light. Gonna, he's going to portray himself to be God. He's going to try to deceive man in the same way. And okay. the Jew is waiting for man to come. Yeah, let's try, let's try, let's try a little bit. Let's try, to, let's try to move a little bit. We still have 10 minutes. And let's try to do, you know, touch on this a little bit in the you know, next few minutes. Uh, chapter 20... And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon and old, the, the old, that old serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. This is at the end? That's yeah. a very good question. This is the discussion of next week, but you know, I'm going to give you a preview. No, let's not meditate on this. Uh, something to read about and learn. There are two interpretations of this particular verse. The first one, which our church, the Catholic Church, and most of the reasonable Protestant people believe in, is that the, this chaining happened on the cross. And we're going to prove later on why it happened on the cross. And then, there are other people who believe that what's going to happen is that at the end of the world, the Lord is going to come and chain the devil for a thousand years. Right. 
and they call that the millennium reign and the Lord is going to come and rule on earth for a, mil- for a thousand years my personal opinion and you can take it or leave it the antichrist is using the millennium reign heresy to prepare for his second coming for his coming and unfortunately a lot of the Christians in this country and all over the world they're going to be waiting for a reign of a Christ here on earth the thinking is that the Lord should be coming here and reigning on earth for a thousand years so when somebody comes and declares himself to be Christ and he's here to rule for a thousand years and he performs miracles all who's waiting for this heresy are going to do what? follow him Okay. And only you cops are not going to follow him. Inshallah. Actually, unfortunately. And unfortunately, we have some people in our church here, they, they do agree with the, with the concept of millennium reign. Of course. Right? Which is a heresy that all the church fathers declared it to be a heresy and condemned anybody who believed it. Next week, if you come next week, we'll talk. Plenty of time about the millennium ring. It may take us more than one week. But that's, that's the whole idea that's going to happen. Somebody's going to come declare himself to be a God and sits. And actually St. Paul talks about him in details. And we'll try to get some of these, you know, uh, by, you know readings that St. Paul talks to him about, you know, uh, how he describes it. Fasad. He calls it Insanit Fasad. Uh, I'm going to find in English and put it in uh, next week to collect all this because that's going to be an interesting discussion okay, okay. Any, any other questions again next week we're going to focus on chapter 20 and the millennium reign don't forget the end is near inshallah we're going to finish quick, you know, soon before the second coming hopefully it's not going to be in three weeks <laughs> so we'll be done with revelation soon oh ok I'm sorry Right. Okay? Alright, thanks for coming and for your patience. You. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Alright. You know when Revelation happens in uh, St. John's life? In the ninth. All first chapter. On the web. No, no, I mean, like, how can you say that one of the gospel is after? Because it was written in the year 105 AD. Don't forget, tomorrow is the feast day of Saint Athanasius. The one of the great teachers of our church, and he's also called uh, Apostolic. Some people call him the 13th Apostle. You know, I don't know. They dropped some Paul somewhere there. No, it'll be 73rd Apostle or 70, 71st. Um, it was, was 
number 70 or 70. Because we round off and we round off. Where are the 70s? Okay. 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 In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, from God, Amen. Thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us here today to hear about your word. We ask you, Lord, to give us the wisdom to know you and to grow closer to you. We ask you to give us the wisdom to understand you and how to spiritually benefit in our own lives. Help the servants and help all the services of this church and especially the service of this class. Reward all those who labor and who toil for our salvation. We thank you for the great fathers that you have sent to us to defend the faith and to teach us the truth and to open our eyes to see you. Lord, open our eyes not just to see you, but to reject sin. Open our eyes to understand you and to draw near you. Help the poor and help all our brethren in Egypt and help all of mankind. Amen. Through the session of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. John the Beloved, and St. Athanasius, who defended the faith, the true faith, this being attacked today, every day, Around us. Here, I suppose, say thank you. Our, our Father, the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord, and the 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 Lord, and the the you know what I wonder? Yeah. Like, I wonder. Like, you know what I 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 like the Psalms came first before like yeah. Yeah, Psalms are wonderful. The Psalms are very strong, very powerful. And uh, you know what? Music? Oh look, I have some like whole cut piano. Why do you ask me about Some people say some of those people who hear the death. They're using the songs. Don't ask me how or why or all the English things because I have no idea.